going to be coming from Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And we read it, and it says he spoke another parable. Now, the word parable in the Greek literally means to throw alongside, uh, to compare one thing with another. It's given as an illustration. Oftentimes, uh, we say it's a story that's given to teach a spiritual truth. And Jesus spoke so many times in parables. Those that were the religious-minded had difficulties understanding the truth of that, but those who had a hungry heart and ear to hear, they could understand what he was teaching them. And oftentimes he would follow up the story, the parable, with an explanation of it. We have to understand at this time, many people of that day believed that Jesus had come to overthrow the Roman government. You see, the Roman government had occupied Jerusalem. They were ruling there. And they believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the coming King of the Jews, that would overthrow the Roman government and establish a new kingdom there in Jerusalem. And that's what I think the majority of people, the majority of his followers believed in that day. Uh, they believed that that was going to happen soon. And when Jesus shares this parable, he's showing that he didn't come for that particular purpose. He came to bring more than that. He came to bring redemption. He came to bring freedom. He came to declare and establish the kingdom of God on earth. Look at verse 12, and I'm going all the way back to the King James Version on this Luke chapter 19, verse 12, because there's one word I want us to pick up on that says, Therefore, he said, Jesus said, there was a certain nobleman who went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds. New King James Version says, ten minas, and one of these equals a hundred days' wages. A New Living Translation says he delivered ten pounds of silver. The, 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 the amount of money here is, is, not, is, is not really the issue here, although it was a, a great amount of money given to them. And when he gave them this, the nobleman said, Occupy till I come. In other words, occupy till I come back. Then we pick up in verse 14 in New Living Translation, and here's the response that Jesus gives in his parable. He said, but his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we do not want him to be our king. Which, of course, we see very, very plain here that this uh, represents the people of Israel, the, the Jews of that day. When the Bible says he came to his own, his own received him not. He was rejected by his very own. And then it says in verse 15 that after he was, after he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. So for those that didn't reject him completely, for those that were his servants, he gave them a certain number of pounds or wealth, something that was valuable, if you will. Verse 16 says that the first, to the first servant said, Master, first servant said, Master, I invested the money that uh, and made ten times the original amount. And Jesus and the, the nobleman said, or then king said, uh, you're a good servant. You've been faithful with a little. I will entrust you with uh, that I've entrusted to you. So you will be governor over ten cities as a reward. Then to the next servant, 
He reported, uh, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money. Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. Do you see his attitude toward the nobleman? The no, this, this property did belong to the nobleman, the king. And yet this servant said, you know, you're taking from something that doesn't belong to you. So he didn't understand uh, or respect or honor the king. Uh, and he had a very poor understanding or a misunderstanding of who the king really was, who his nobleman was. We could say people misunderstand about the character of God even today. But Jesus responded and said, you wicked servant, the king roared, uh, the king roared, you wicked servant, your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to the others that were standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. And immediately we think, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. The one who already has 10 pounds. But we see the principle is taught here. The one who's faithful what he's given uh, will receive a return on that. And Jesus said yes, uh, the king said yes uh, to those whom, uh, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Some basic principles in this parable. First of all, there was a nobleman who goes away, who leaves for a period of time, goes to a far country with a promise that he will return. Now keep this in mind of representing Jesus leaving and going to heaven to the Father there and his word to us as disciples. He goes to a far country and he says, I'm going to return. And there were those who rejected him to begin with and there are those who reject him now. <clears throat> he says, I don't want him to be any part of my life. I reject who he is. And in <clears throat> number three, we find that he entrusted his servants with something of value. As followers, God is, he has trusted us with certain gifts, with certain abilities. He's entrusted us with something that we are to invest in his kingdom here. And, but, you know, it wasn't so much about the amount that he gave or the particular gift that he gave, but it was what, you know, it's really about what we do with what God has given us. And then he says, occupy till I come, occupy till I come, <clears throat> and then he returns, and the people are to give accountability, and there are rewards given. That, again, applies to the fact that we're to occupy, that we're to do business for the king, that we're to, uh, to be faithful in what he's given us until the day that he returns. And when we're at the judgment seat of Christ, the New Testament calls it, then we will stand before him, not to be judged where we're saved or lost, because if you make the judgment seat of Christ, you're saved, you're born again, it's because it's by grace through faith. But... As believers and followers, we are trusted with opportunities to serve Him and trusted with gifts to give. And when we're faithful in that, He promises rewards. Now, exactly what that's going to be or what that looks like, we may not understand, but God will honor and bless and give rewards. We know that's what the Scripture teaches. <clears throat> and so, so when you think of the word occupy, which is what the word He says, occupy till I come, what comes to mind when you first think of the word occupy? You think, well... It's like you're occupying a seat. You're taking your place there. 
Sometimes you think of occupies the fact of one military or country moving into another country and, if you will, ruling or occupying that country. And they don't necessarily rule it because we have military that's stationed in other countries that they're occupying that country even though they're not ruling it. So occupy literally in the Greek though means to trade or to do business, to invest, to be busy for the king. Now how many of you know you can be busy and yet not productive? You can think that you're doing all these things for God and God may be saying, what are you doing this for? This is not what I've called you to do. It's not who I've called you to be. So it's not just about doing things. It's about being faithful with what he's given us. So I'll give you three things. Three things this morning as we look at the fact that God has called us to occupy. That Jesus said, occupy till I return. As we said before, occupy means, can mean simply to take your place. God has called us as his followers to take our place in his kingdom. We're to take our place in the church. He says, don't forsake the assembling yourselves together. We're talking about bodily presence here. He's talking about the fact, then he says, take your place. People say, well, you need to be in church. You need to be in church. That, that's, not, that's not the point. That is not the point. The point is, is that we need a visible representation of his kingdom on earth, and that's you and me. And so we're to take our place. You know, if you've got a family gathering, you miss the family members who can't be there. And some of them may not be able to be there. That's understandable. But you miss those who are absent from that family. The church of Jesus Christ is that way, is that he's called each one of us, the scripture says, and has given to each one of us certain spiritual gifts, talents, abilities. And when he calls us to this, he puts us in a place to use those, to use them or lose them, to whom much is given much is required. And so it's important for us to take our place to represent him. And when we talk about, you know, we used, people used to in trying to grow the size of their congregation and have pack a pew Sunday. They often did that during the annual yearly revival. You could have a yearly revival where you had any revival or not, but you had to have your annual revival. We get together and so trying to just stir up some attendance for those revival meetings, which wasn't always that great, you try to say, okay, this is this Wednesday's gonna be pack a pew night. And so go out there, get your family members, get as many as you can, and we're gonna give a prize and a re, an award to those that can have the most people here and pack your entire pew. Well, we don't have pews, but you know, pack, uh, just, just fill up this place. Well, the church is not about just numbers. We know that. But the church is about numbers. Because every number represents a person who, who is a child of God or either can become a child of God. And for you and I as believers, he's called us to take our place. Take our place in his church, which is not just sitting here on Sunday morning. You know, people who do just that, thank God for their faithfulness in this. But people who do just that and are satisfied are missing out on so much. They're missing out on so much. Because unless you're involved in ministry, it's hard to really feel connected, isn't it? And there are so many opportunities, not only in church, but as you as believer beyond the walls of this church, there's so many opportunities for you to bless people, for you to help them, for you to do the things that God's called you to do, for you to use the gifts that you have. And here in this local body of believers, 
We have so many opportunities where people can, we use the word serve, where they can minister, where they can bless others. To God be the glory. That's what it's about. But when that's missing, something is missing in what perhaps what God really wants to accomplish there. When there's an absence of people who give themselves to this, who call and give themselves, for instance, to teaching the children or ministering the children or caring for the nursery, uh, that, uh, that leaves in some ways an absence because there's more that we can do and there's more that can be accomplished and a greater blessing we can be if we have those people. We're talking about living bodies dedicated to the Lord who will be there and take that responsibility. But that might not be your calling, your gift. But oh, there's so many other things around here. So I'd encourage you, if, if being a part of a church has been primarily for you to come and be here, then thank God for you. If it's to give, to give uh, and, and tithe, thank God for you. Maybe you don't feel like there's a whole lot that you can do. Maybe physically, but you can certainly pray. And you can certainly pray for this ministry. You can pray for me. You certainly can encourage people. And of course, you can be here when you can and give. There are so many opportunities for us to serve him, but we need to take our place in the church and take our place in the kingdom of God. Show up and serve. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that the manifestation of the spirit, spiritual gifts is given to each one of us. One of us, We have many parts in one body. So we show up to serve. We show up to love. We take our place as a child of God to f- encourage others and to build up others. Absolutely. Secondly, to occupy, we could say, <clears throat> I think for us as believers, eh, to occupy till he comes, we're supposed to stand our ground. And actually, believers, I think it's more than stand our ground. Uh, the old hymn that we used to sing years ago, some of you might be familiar with it. Uh, some of you uh, that are a little bit older, the younger folks don't have a clue about this song, I'm sure, never heard it. But the song we sang, uh, Hold the fort till I am, till, you know, till I am coming. Is that it? Hold the fort till I am coming. So uh, we're, we're saying just, just hang on. You guys just brace yourself and hang on till Jesus comes back. Just get a tight grip and just try to hang on. That is not the picture of the church in the New Testament. It's not about just hanging on. It's about thriving. It's about taking territory the kingdom for his glory. It's about advancing his purpose. It's about spreading the gospel. So occupy means to stand your ground. That's persevere. That's being bold, being confident. Uh, The term soldiers is sometimes used in scripture to help us to see that we are called in a sense as soldiers to be faithful with duties that we are assigned or given to follow those that are that are in charge. We have a king. We have a Lord who's in charge. And it's important for us to occupy, to stand our ground, which means we need to first of all submit to God, James 4, 7. We're also supposed to resist the devil. That's important. Need both of those submit to God. Then you can resist the devil. And the scripture says he will flee from you. The gates of hell or Hades shall not prevail against you. 
I do think the more accurate picture there in the New Testament is not the fact that we're continually bombarded by the enemy and by darkness and by this world system, by the king of this world. And there's a lot of stuff going on. The world's in a mess. There's a lot of stuff going on out there. There's a lot of darkness and evil. We know that. The church is the light and the truth in the middle of that. But the picture is not here that the church is supposed to somehow stand our ground and persevere against these continual attacks. The picture here is more of a victorious church that says we're not just going, the church is going to prevail. Key word there is prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, I believe the church will prevail against the kingdom of darkness. The church is to be victorious. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the scripture says in 1 John chapter 5 verse 4, this is the victory that overcomes the world. Not just holding status quo. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith that comes through Christ. <clears throat> the third and final thing, and I'm going to share just a little bit after I share this, this, this particular meaning of occupy. And this is the way the, the word, this is what the word means in the context of the scripture we read this morning. When the, the nobleman said, occupy till I come, he was saying, take what I've given you and do business. Trade, make investments, use what I've given you. Here's something that the next, the next couple, three minutes that I share is, is a concept that is true, but it's a concept that so many of us as believers have been taught, have not We've missed the truth of this, I think, as far as uh, Christianity is concerned, and that is understanding more about being citizens of the kingdom of God. We need to know more about what the meaning of the kingdom of God is. If we're going to do business for the king, it must mean that there is a kingdom, and we're supposed to do business for the king. You and I are citizens of the kingdom called to do his business. We're supposed to be faithful to what he's given us. The problem is, and I think all of us could identify this, we become preoccupied with other things. And sometimes we get a little bit lazy in it. Sometimes we're even unfaithful. But thank God for his forgiveness and mercy. General William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, um, it's changed a lot over the years, but it was a powerful force for good. And so many people came to the Lord and so many people were helped. And still are. But he was a founder of Salvation Army, and he was asked the secret of his amazing Christian life. You know what his answer was? He was asked, What's the secret of, your, of the amazing Christian life you have? And this was his answer I told the Lord that he could have all that there is of William Booth. And that's what it takes. Lord, you can have all that I am all that I have, all that I can do for you. And he's blessed us with so much. Romans 8.32, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament says that he who did not spare his own son, God gave his son, Jesus. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us what? All things. Other translation says, how shall he not, uh, will he not give us everything? Or he will give us everything. 
So he says, based upon God's love and what, look at the cross. Just look at the demonstration. Just look at how God gave. Look at the magnitude of the gift of God when Jesus died on the cross. And he says, if the Father loved us that much, if the Son loved us that much and has given us this, then it adds to this and says, then how will he not also give us all things freely to enjoy. Don't, don't erase that verse or the last part of it from your Bible. God's entrusted us with blessings, but with that blessing comes opportunities to use it for his glory. So <clears throat> let me take about two or three minutes here before we close out. And let's, let's take a brief, let's look at, uh, briefly at the kingdom of God. You see, the Bible is not about religion and it's not about organization. It's about a king and his kingdom. I think for many of us and many, many believers today have difficulty in understanding the magnitude of God's gift and calling because we don't understand the kingdom of God. We don't understand God's original intent. Why did God create the earth? Why did he create man and woman? Why did he put life here on the earth? That's what we, we say. God had an intent. God doesn't do anything unless there's a purpose for it. And he had a purpose and an intention. He created the earth as a place over which uh, he could extend his kingdom here on earth. He ruled in the heavens. He is God, God over all. And he created the earth so it would be a place where he could extend his influence. But he wasn't going to do that directly. He chose to exercise that kingdom and establish his kingdom on earth. How? Through man. Through, the man, through mankind that he created. I mean, he owns it all. He's, got, he's king. He owns it all. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, Genesis tells us. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In a kingdom, all the land belongs to the king, belongs to the crown. It's the king's domain. <clears throat> but then in Psalm 115 it says, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he's given to man. So how could the earth belong to God and belong to man? Well, it belongs to God because he's the creator and owner. The reason it's been given to man is because we've been given it with a responsibility to be stewards He's trusted us here. He gave us dominion. He gave Adam and Eve dominion, rulership, not ownership. Mankind was created to rule over this earth, if you will, to represent the king's wishes and desires and hearts, to bring the supernatural down to the natural and establish God's kingdom here on earth. The earth was to be an extension of God's kingdom. That's God's original intent as to why he brought man, he created man. God put people on this planet for the purpose of expanding his influence and authority. Like a colony. We talk about the colonies that came when, when there were people who came to America, the first colonies here in America. The, the people of God, we're a colony, we're a group of citizens that are living in this domain which has become the kingdom of this world, 
because of sin and darkness. We live in this kingdom, but we represent another kingdom. Does that make any sense to you? As believers, you live here in this kingdom, but you represent another kingdom. The scripture is clear on that. It says we have been transferred or taken from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the dear son. <clears throat> so so this, is, this is an important truth for us to know. We're like a colony that the king sent to represent him in the place, in this place we call earth. <clears throat> but through rebellion of that, of the king, man lost that rulership, you know? That's what happened when Adam Eve sinned. That sin brought separation and loss and death and poverty. But man lost his rulership, lost the opportunity to fulfill the intent of God and the purpose of God. But even though that happened because of man's sin, guess what? That did not change God's original intent. That's going to happen. That is happening. It's going to happen. God's original intention will take place even though sin and mankind got in the way of it, the rebellion against him. But see, we have to be restored to a place of citizenship. You know what that is? That's a new birth. When you are made new in Christ, you become a child of God, which takes you from the kingdom of darkness, the enemy, and puts you in the kingdom of the dear son, which is the kingdom of God. So even though you live here on earth, this is not your home. And you don't represent this earth or values. You represent the king and his desire. Jesus came <clears throat> that we might receive the full rights of sons and daughters. He didn't die just to improve us. He came to regain, to redeem, and to restore us. He didn't come to enlist an army of servants that were called to serve. He came to restore the, the king's sons and daughters, which is you and me. He came to restore us to our rightful position of rulership as heirs of his kingdom and to represent him on earth. You know the central message of Jesus? We know the centrality of the cross. Without the cross, none of this would be possible. The cross became necessary because of the sin and rebellion of man. Lost the dominion. Lost the place of purpose that God had intended him to have. Separated from that. Taken into from, by the deceit and the temptation of the enemy, which lost the kingdom God intended and placed them, placed them in the kingdom of darkness. <clears throat> something had to change that. <clears throat> there had to be something that changed that. Someone had to come that could provide redemption, that could take away that sin, that could deal with that loss and bring us to be united with him in righteousness again. That's salvation. Jesus made that possible for you and me. And so, all too often, people kind of think that you know, the, the scripture summarizes the gospel this way. Gospel means good news. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
But we need to see these wonderful truths even, <clears throat> even in a broader spectrum. He didn't save us just to make a way for us to get to heaven. And yet for some people, that's essentially what Christianity means to them. He didn't just save us for then. He saved us for now. Because he has a purpose for us now. So many people have missed that and think that, okay, we're saved, so we owe God something, and we do. So we need to serve him and work as hard as we can so maybe we can earn our right into the kingdom. What will happen? He's provided that where we can be restored back to citizenship and be a part of his kingdom here on earth and represent his kingdom here on earth. That is a valuable truth. The central message of Jesus was the kingdom of God. You know what Jesus talked about more than anything else? The kingdom of God. So isn't it important? I would think so. Matthew chapter 3 verse 2, right at the baptism, water baptism of Jesus. John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God is sometimes used interchangeably and we won't get into that, but he said, repent for the kingdom is near you. Or some translation says the kingdom is at hand or the kingdom is here. He wasn't talking about an earthly kingdom. He was talking about Jesus. He was saying the kingdom is right here in this person. The kingdom is right here in the Son of God, the Messiah. This is, this is the kingdom. This is how you enter the kingdom. Matthew 4, 17 says that from the time, from that time on, Jesus began. You know, his first few words that he shared that we have recorded, it says he came to preach, and this is what Jesus preached. Repent, turn around. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 4, 23, Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sicknesses and disease. Jesus embodied and expressed the kingdom of God. You know, what, what is that? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, right here's what, my, here, here's what the Father's kingdom looks like. He heals. He delivers. He sets free. He provides. He loves. He forgives. Here's what the Father looks like. Not some cruel God, not some distant God, but here's what the Father, here's what the kingdom of God looks like. And I'm going to make a way for you to become part of that kingdom. And he does. God's intent was to plant a colony of his citizens on earth to manifest his wisdom and his heart, his mind, his desires. And look, the kingdom of God doesn't work like our world does. When we join this kingdom, we have a different, we have a different set of principles to live by. Would you agree that when a person becomes a follower of Christ, and God begins to, to change, you know, their heart's been, has been, you know, made new. Doesn't he begin to transform us, transform our mind, our way of thinking, the way we talk? Listen, we have to ask ourselves, do my thoughts represent the thoughts of the kingdom, the way God, God desires me to think? Are they pleased? Do my words please the Father? Does the language, does the language I use, does it please the Father? Is this, or, could I say these words are words of the kingdom and words of the king? Do they represent the king? 
<clears throat> to the way I live, to the way I treat other people, does it represent the king and his kingdom? We don't have to do this long. We have the power of the Holy Spirit and we have his word to help us live this way. But when we become part of the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of this world, it's different. We live by faith, not by sight or emotions. If you're part of the kingdom, that's how, we, that's how, that's how you live. If you're part of the kingdom, if you want to live, you've got to die. Die to self. Experience his life. If you want to be great in his kingdom, you know what has to happen? You have to be, have a heart to serve, servant of all. All this seems upside down to what the world is exactly right. That's his kingdom. That's why when we do this, you know what? When we do this, it stands out. Not pointing to ourselves, but it stands out as a witness to people around us that says there's something different. There's something different. They must be living in a different place. If we have needs, in order for us to receive, you know what we have to do? Try to gather in and hold on to as much as we have. No, in the kingdom, you know what? You know what the Bible says if you need increase? You know what the Bible says if you need to receive or get something? You know what? You know what the kingdom God says you need to do? Give. <clears throat> that doesn't make any sense. But God's laws, the kingdom laws, work in the life of a believer. The law of use. If we don't use what God's given us, we lose it. Folks, we are living in the last days. And as I mentioned the last couple of weeks and what we've been talking about, we're living in the last of the last days. We don't know whether that means a matter of moments, days, weeks, months, or years. But the return of the king is much closer. It's closer than it's ever been. Jesus went away to a far country. We are called to be his followers, to establish his kingdom. And he's given us different things in our life, different ways in our life that we can represent his kingdom and live according to those kingdom principles. So what? So it can impact the people around us. I'm saying a lot this morning, but I hope some of it's sinking in to help us understand the importance of living out the kingdom lifestyle here on earth as a follower of Christ. Luke 12, verse 35 says, Be dressed for service. We don't know when Jesus is going to come. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return. That's the truth. You know, for... If you're waiting on the kingdom to return, then you need to be found in faith, as the scripture says. When he returns, will he find faith on earth? Whatever you believe about the rapture, the time of the rapture, or uh, about the end time events are here, whatever your convictions are about that, and, and, it's, and it's good to study it and know things about that. But I emphasize again, the importance that's stressed in the word is, regardless of when that is, and regardless of what that looks like, he says, you be ready, you be found faithful, and you represent my kingdom well, and you live according to these wonderful truths of my kingdom while you're here on earth so that you can believe and pray as I taught you as my disciples and followers to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it's already being done in heaven.
Father, make the, would you stand with me? Father, let this message come alive in us today. Let it be a challenge. Let it be something that stirs us up. First of all, with, with a greater understanding that you have brought us as sons and daughters into your kingdom to be a part of the citizenship of the kingdom of God. And living this life means our life is different from the world around us. And we in this kingdom walk in blessing. We walk in provision. We walk with perseverance. We walk with strength. We walk with confidence in the future. Because, Lord, your kingdom, your kingdom is forever. God, let this truth rise up in us. That through Christ, we've been restored to that place of relationship with you. And God, I pray that through everyone that's here, those that are watching or listening, that there will be something inside of us that if there have been places where we backed away, where we're poor representatives, that we're not living according to these principles, God, we repent. Forgive us, Lord, and change our hearts. And Lord, today, we commit, we recommit. We say to you, God, I want to represent you well on earth. Holy Spirit, Continue to change me and help me have the hearts for uh, your heart for others and a heart that, to please you above everything else. God, you've called us to this. Enable us to do it so that we see your kingdom come in our family, in this church, in our community. Lord, and beyond that your name will be glorified. And that's our heart and we give you praise now. And in the house, we declare it and say amen. amen. God bless you. Give him praise before you have to go. Thank you. God bless you.